Well, this is interesting. What have we got here? What's a ticket? What's a ticket? A cruise. That's right. On the Ruby Princess. Lovely. And there's more than one ticket. Yes, I want you to take your mother as well. And Joan. I thought you didn't like Joan. And Eliza. You don't like her either. Well, people change. I'm really touched. You've bought tickets for all of us. But what about you? What are you going to do? What you are about to hear is a product of the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. While a million or so medical professionals around the world were saving lives, something else was taking place beneath the radar. Almost a hundred musicians from around the world are slaving away on what you are about to hear. Remember, it is players like these who may ultimately turn out to be the COVID champions of 2020. What about you? What are you going to do? Well, let me tell you what I'm going to do. A few months ago, my brothers and I were stopped at Sydney Airport on our way to the US. It wasn't the fact that we were carrying guitars or that we looked particularly unkempt. It was the coronavirus shutdown. So what did I do? I did exactly what you would have done under such circumstances. I contacted all the musicians in my network and got them to contribute just a few bars to a master musical project. Then I started a podcast focused on some of the people involved. And up to that moment, I did exactly what you would have done. Then I had an idea. You've already seen that there are a lot of people in my circles who are involved in music production. But in addition to that, most of my previous professional life was focused on film production. From an international perspective, there are two big stories in this field. One is Johnny Depp and the other one is Harvey Weinstein. I'm wondering how people like that get on during the pandemic. They know how frustrating and confining it can be for a performer to be locked down, even in a relatively safe place such as where I live. But what would it be like in a hotspot such as LA? Especially with all the other dramas going on there, like the protests and the riots and court cases. And even though I'm trying not to, I am thinking of Johnny Depp and Harvey Weinstein right now. Even though I have some great connections in the US, I cannot get through to Johnny Depp, which is a pity because he is a musician, and we could have spent the whole interview just talking about guitars. Harvey Weinstein, on the other hand, is more accessible. Not directly, because as we know, he's getting a zebra suntan in some American prison. But I do have access, or I believe I have access, to one of his most trusted former lieutenants. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's see where this takes us. Well, so much for Harvey. Nothing to worry about though, because you'll be pleased to know that I have a plan B. And just because I'm calling it plan B, I don't want you to think that the person I'm going to introduce you to next is in any way or form second choice. The person I will be speaking to is a prominent actor who a couple of decades ago was a regular and familiar face in Australia. Not only on television and soapies and regular series, but on stage and in films. And then she moved to LA. 
The role that thrust her back into my attention was one that you might have seen on Netflix. It was the Emmy award-winning series The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Not only was this the most popular show on American television that year, the actor I'm going to be speaking to created one of the most irritating or polarizing characters. She was one of the jurors, nicknamed the, the Demon, Demon, the Juror from Hell. And according to Hollywood Reporter, she was cast in that role for two reasons. First, because she had this really piercing look. And secondly, because she could knit. Just between us, that Hollywood Reporter thing about knitting, I made that up. So I've lined up a Zoom call with her, which was scheduled for just a few minutes ago. I'm being patient. 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 Well, things are not starting off as soundly as I imagined. I would have thought with all the things going on in, or should I say not going on in Los Angeles, that this pre-planned Zoom call would come off without a hiccup. Now, this is interesting. What I've got here is a call that's coming through on my mobile phone. And it's a FaceTime call from my subject, by the looks of it. Good morning. Oh, no, it's evening there, isn't it? Um, welcome to the podcast. Well, I would like to say I saw that, but you put your phone on the ground. I have no idea what happened there. I have to tell you, I feel a bit silly here. I'm sitting here with this big Zoom recording set up all ready to roll, and you've come through on my mobile phone. I'm sorry, I'll hold the phone next It seems pretty obvious now that there's no point in rescheduling this interview and that we might as well continue it on this FaceTime call. This does have a couple of drawbacks. The first one is the audio quality, and the second one is I'm sure it can't be legal to drive around doing a FaceTime interview, especially... As appears to be the case here, she's driving around in an open-top car. I'm only guessing here, but I'm thinking that even in Los Angeles, a practice like driving around in an open car, talking on a FaceTime call, could be frowned upon. Um, probably I'd be booked if anyone caught me, but see, even the police are staying inside, so it's all right. Before we get too far into this story, there are a few things I need to address. The first one involves the way you're listening to this. I'd be doing you a great pandemic disservice if I turned this podcast into a totally passive listener experience. Therefore, I'm inviting you to do a little research on this to see if you can identify the actor I'm speaking to. You know there's not Johnny Depp, and it's certainly not Harvey Weinstein, so who is it? I work as an actor and as an instructor at the New York Film Academy, which is in Burbank, just five or six minutes down the freeway from where I am. And the second thing I need to address is the budget for this episode. You know, when I rang your agent to line up this interview, the very first thing he said to me was, what's the budget? You know there's no budget, don't you? <laughs> and I said, I didn't think there was any budgets for anything in LA these days. Yes, this is what I've noticed. It's a pretty bleak there, is it? As an actor, I've done one job in the last five months because all Everyone's of the permits for filming, everything's been locked down, and it still is. I was actually due to start a film literally the day I had a call from the director in the morning saying how excited he was, I was on board, yada, 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 and we're going to do this and that and that. By the afternoon, the producer had sent out an email to say to everyone, sorry, we have had to close down, they've stopped all permits in L.A. 
And when they close down a production, especially a, a big production, they just can't ramp it up again at the end of the, the close-down period, can but they? But see, everything's booked. I mean, in terms of big studios, everything's booked so far in advance. They've got to try and push everyone now because the people who had, say, two weeks to go on their series after they'd done four months and they had two weeks to finish, they have to get that done first. You know, so there's a lot of juggling and there's a lot mm. of new protocols coming in that are going to demand a lot more time and a lot more money on the part of filmmakers. I was watching a show on Amazon recently and I think it was about four episodes into the series and it just stopped. You knew from the storyline that there was another six or eight episodes to go, but it just stopped. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. I mean, people They got a cliffhanger, and I just wonder how they're going to remember the story. Yeah. And all the actors will have aged and put on weight. Certainly put on weight. <laughs> I said there were a few things I needed to get off my chest, and I've been through a couple, but the third one is probably the most important. And that is, I began this series of podcasts when I was stopped at the airport on my way to the US. Myself and my brothers were on a musical tour to Memphis. But in the past few months I've been sitting here in semi-isolation, I've been thinking the US sounds more and more attractive. So what I plan to do here, and I have to stress that this is for purely indulgent reasons, is get my subject here to take us on a little FaceTime tour of Los Angeles. I'm driving down, um, actually, Santa Monica. I'm Santa Monica Boulevard, that is. I never thought I'd see that with so little traffic. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm just coming up to Rodeo Drive. Oh, I thought I knew where we were. When we turn down Rodeo Drive, you're going to see a lot of mm, boarded-up shops because it was one of the areas that was fairly devastated by the protests. Because when we were discussing this the other night, the demonstrations were actually taking place, so you said. And they were just around the corner from you or something. The whole of the area where I used to live Melrose and Fairfax, that area, which had a lot of upscale but really mum-and-pop stores, gorgeous little stores, that whole area was really badly devastated. I don't know how this is all going to come back, but I hope to God it does. As my colleague here makes her way to the next location, let me remind you of the role she played in our big music production that previous episodes of our podcast have focused on. You've already had a taste of it at the beginning of this episode, but there is much more to the story than that. In a moment, I'll play you the track which will demonstrate how the dramatic part interweaves with the musical part and comes together as something, well, very unusual. This music thing that I'm doing, I'm getting musicians all over the place. Yeah, it's wonderful. A little recording on their iPhone, which you did for me as well. Having and no idea what, what was going on at the other end. Neither did they, and that was the great thing. So you were the exception to them, because most of them were just playing guitars and singing and playing basses and so forth. You actually had a mini script to work on, and you had no idea what the other parties were going to do. So he said to do a line and hope for the best. <laughs> exactly. And that hoping for the best was really the challenge of this exercise. While it was true that there was a script, and it did have two roles on it, she had no idea how the male actor was going to perform. And speaking on behalf of the other actor, he had no idea either. And then once the performance was executed, there was still the difficult question of, how are we going to integrate this into a music track? Let's have a listen. Well, this is interesting. What have we got here? It's a ticket. It's a ticket. A cruise? That's right. On the Ruby Princess? Lovely. And there's more than one ticket. Yes, I want you to take your mother as well. 
and Joan. I thought you didn't like Joan. And Eliza. You don't like her either. Well, people change. I'm really touched. You've bought tickets for all of us. But what about you? What are you going to do? Yes, I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I go. Yes, I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. They got a lot of horny women there. And I'm going to get myself one. That'll do for the moment. I just wanted to give you a flavour of what's going to appear in next week's episode, where we interview a couple of quite unexpected singers who perform on the track. But back to our FaceTime travel log. I have a bit of an advantage over you because I can see exactly, or sort of, where our driver has been taking us. Just turning on to... It's a long way from Rodeo Drive. <laughs> well, all this chat's been going on while I've been on the 10 on the way down to Santa Monica. And now I've just turned off onto Main Street and now oh, we can good. just park along here and we can just walk along Venice Beach. It's a throwback to the 70s. It seriously is. You see every store about, with every conceivable artistic venture from painting little rocks to... Oh, but here we are passing the guys in the gym, the outdoor gym on Venice Beach. I can see on your phone. <laughs> there you go. You are, are you ogling or are you studying? No, no, passing. I'm just passing. Oh, just passing, yeah. Well but, done. I was meaning to ask the accent that you used in the opening part of the song that you did for us, when you said, what accent would I like? I said, just use the one from your last role. How did you arrive at that? Do you always do American accents when you're in America? I have a generic, unless they ask for Southern or New Yorker, but that's, that's rare. I think everything is becoming so homogenized with Netflix and Amazon showing so many TV series and films from all over the world. Everyone's getting so used to different accents. Even here, they always say to me, no, just do it in your accent. It's mm. set in, in LA. There's so many of you here. Don't worry about it. Mm. And do Australian actors get work in the US because they don't have perfect teeth? When you see American actors, their teeth are always so perfect. I know, and mine are not. I won't tell people what I'm looking at in her iPhone as she walks down Venice Beach, bearing her teeth for all the muscle men. And what's that? A, a man on a skateboard juggling? God. Well, the skateboard arena is still there along Venice Beach. I'm walking past it as we speak. There. Huh. See? Well done. There you go. So that's there, and there's all the scarves and saris and... Sarongs. 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 I have to explain to our listeners. Yes. This uh, person that I'm interviewing here is walking along Venice Beach in a sarong and flip-flops. <laughs> she is. <laughs> and here I am in a winter coat on the other side of the world. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Clearly, at this point, our deep and meaningful conversation is becoming less deep and less meaningful. So we will abandon our little tour of Venice Beach and concentrate on something that's far more important to actors in America, that is, money and casting. Money is the obvious one, because whenever we think of Hollywood or acting or Los Angeles, we think of money. Often, vast amounts of money. And this brings us to the next topic, that of casting. 
And we might pause here for a producer's disclaimer. Please bear in mind that the producer and your guru host have very similar sounding voices. In a perfect pre-COVID world, we probably wouldn't have brought up the topic of casting in the same episode that we spoke about Harvey Weinstein. But extensive social distancing sometimes does strange things to a person's view of what is proper and what is not. Casting is going to change dramatically. It already is. There's no in-person casting at the moment, and that may continue. Online casting? Well, why not? Those room castings are awful Exactly. Things. I don't know if you know this, but I used to do commercials in the US, not, not acting, of course, of course you did. but directing. When, when I first met you, you were at a, uh, a casting. A casting. And it was a very revealing exercise for me. Not about you, about casting in general. There was this huge difference in attitudes between the cities in the casting, I thought, between New York and LA, for example. The Los Angeles actors, even for small roles, extras and things like that, the L.A. person would come in yep. and they'd look at the camera and say, there you go, there you go. The New York person would come in full wardrobe, having worked out a little routine. So if you had one person who was just a limousine driver, for example, and he's just in the back of a shop, he comes in in full limousine outfit and he does a routine about, get in the car, sir, and he tells you this whole story and he's got this little act. He's got no role in the movie to say that. You know, it's just a figure. But the difference in emphasis on the casting, extreme. Yeah, in New York, you're talking majority stage actors. Right. L.A. used to be not as difficult to get the work, but now it's so difficult. You don't go in unless you've nailed that audition. Mm. You don't go in reading script. You go in fully prepared because you know there's 200, 2,000 in some cases, people ahead of you who have absolutely done the work. So I think L.A. has changed a lot in that respect. And the fees the actors work for, do they remain constant or is it like the music industry where everyone is playing for less and less over the years? Uh, well, what's happened is the commercial world has changed dramatically. There was a commercial strike probably 10, 15 years ago. All the producers discovered that they could get actors to do it for a lot less, so they're getting a lot less than they used mm. to. So that's the first factor. The second factor is that commercials now, they're going all over the place and they're running for a very short time. It's not like one big ad that's playing on every station for the next year. Mm. And they're all going from anything from literally $50 to, you know, a few thousand. Right. But nothing like yeah. what commercials used to be 10 years, 20 yeah. years ago. You could retire on a commercial 20 years ago. Banking is doing all right, I hear. Banking's doing very well. I've heard the same, Paul. Well, I think that's about as far as we can go on this Los Angeles story. Unfortunately, we didn't get into the, um, the debauchery and the excesses of wealth, but hopefully I'll get the opportunity to speak with Johnny Depp in some future episode. As a side note, I did receive a message from that Harvey Weinstein, uh, former Harvey Weinstein lieutenant, who apologizes for Harvey's non-appearance on this episode and assures me that Mr. Weinstein has been, how did he put it, unavoidably detained. Next episode, I will tell you who the subject of this particular conversation was today. Or if you do a bit of homework, you can easily look it up yourself. I'm also pleased to tell you that the subject of the last episode, The Afro and the Guru, that man's name was Peter Toss, a musician. Look him up. He's quite famous. Next week, I will be speaking to two women singers. 
or more accurately, one woman singer and one man who was a pop star in the 70s and used to dress up in very shiny satin clothes. These are very unusual characters. You will not be disappointed. But the way to guarantee you will not be disappointed is to click on the subscribe button, that is, subscribe to this series of podcasts, which you can find on the browser you're using right now. Before I leave you, if you've been wondering about that competition I've been bragging about, the details are on my website, www.andtheguru.com. Come on, you don't need me to spell that out. And the guru dot com.